I get to talk to myself sometimes. If I don't talk to myself, my wife talks to me, so I just take my pick, right? Two, two different questions that come down to, oh, I'm missing a monitor up here. Okay, I don't know what happened. They took our TV, I guess. Two different questions um, that deal with the Lord's Prayer. One of them says, recently, an Anglican archbishop said that the Lord's Prayer is problematic because it advocates patriarchy and dominance for men over women since it calls God our Father. Do you have any comments on this? What time is it? Oh. Okay. I looked up this uh, good archbishop in England. Um, I looked up this quote, and I believe this has, that was probably the quote that is being talked about. I'll read that, uh, among other things that this archbishop has said. He said, the word father is problematic for those whose experience on earthly, of earthly fathers has been destructive or abusive, and for all of us who have labored too much from an oppressively patriarchal grip on life. So he is advocating that we change something in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, don't, I didn't gather he's against the prayer, but the phrase, our Father who art in heaven, is bothering him. Um, and then this question is about a specific phrase in the Lord's Prayer, which I put in your bulletin there, and I, I put the word but on its own line, the little conjunction, but on its own line, because it's the hinge of what I want to talk about. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the question says, why does the Lord's Prayer read, lead us not into temptation, when God is not a tempting God? Do all translations or the Greek texts read the same way? And they probably do, or very similar. I mean, that is the, it, it is uh, a natural way to translate that phrase, but there are alternatives as well that it, it could be translated that may, um, I think, help us understand it a little bit better. So, let's uh, go back to, first of all, this idea of the Lord's Prayer. I have to look down here and I have to turn around. It's funny, yesterday there was a wedding here. It was a Mennonite group, and what, I didn't have the wedding, but I did the sound desk and just helped out. And on the rehearsal, the, uh, this table was here, and the, the guy who was going to speak at the wedding came up here, and he frowned, and he frowned, and he looked at this and he said, uh, what's this? And uh, somebody said, well, that would be if you're speaking for your notes. And he said, I don't think the preacher here would use something like that. <laughs> it was kind of funny. He, he said that to me. And, uh, <clears throat> this then is how you should pray, Jesus said. <clears throat> Our Father is how he, how he starts out. And so the good archbishop has said we shouldn't, we, can't, we cannot just use that term anymore in our culture and in our times. The word Father is problematic. And I understand that, as many words are emotional triggers for many people. I understand that. Uh, 
but I will hopefully defend what Jesus said because, if nothing else, of who said it. Jesus himself teaching us how to pray refers to God as our Heavenly Father. <clears throat> so, I'll come back to the, to the misuse and the abuse that many fathers have perpetrated, but let me just mention several things. First of all, oh, well, now I don't have either one. Uh, did I do something? Okay, good. I didn't think I did since I was standing down there. <clears throat> if anything else, it should mean that we don't, if when we call someone our father, when we call God our father, it can and should mean to me, most of all, first of all, that we can come to him unafraid, that there's an absence of fear in having God as our father. Jesus himself said, when he's talking about the role of father to his disciples once, he said, look, if you had a son, so that's the father, son, or the mother, son, the mother, the, the parent, the child, and your son asks you for a fish, or we'll say a, a tuna sandwich, would you give him a snake? Jesus said, of course not. A parent doesn't seek to scare their child. They don't seek to frighten their child. Rather, just the opposite. Any parent, any father, would seek to keep their child from being frightened. They would seek to intervene or interfere rather than um, give them something to be afraid of. They would seek to protect them from things that they might tend to be afraid of. And so this was Jesus's this is Jesus' point of view, or this is what Jesus had to say about it, um, that God is our protector. So why would we possibly be afraid of him? He is the one who's looking out for us and wants to support us and encourage us in the greatest way. And so it should mean, you know, in spite of what our culture has maybe garbled it to me, it should mean when I call God my Father, that I'm talking to someone of whom I have no fear because his interest in me and concern for me is utmost and foremost. Secondly, it should mean that I'm talking to someone that I can ask questions. I have people say, I hear people say quite a bit, well, I know it's wrong to question God. And I I don't agree with that. Now, I understand the attitude with which we come to God in questioning is certainly part of uh, important and makes a difference. But I can't imagine any child who, should, who would be afraid to ask their parent a question or any parent who would not be willing to answer the questions of their children because this is the role of being a parent. At this wedding yesterday, I observed this young father and he had about a, a two to three-year-old his son on his lap and he was sitting there in one of the back pews and he and he had this kid up on his lap and he's cuddled kind of close to him and their faces are beside each other and his father's pointing out different things in the church and in the car and he's teaching that kid he's he's talking softly to him and he's saying this is what that is and this is why they do that so he's imparting his wisdom to his child this is the natural this is the the, the natural flow this is the affinity the, the way that parents interact with their child, father to, father to son, father to daughter. Jesus said, look, 
God is going to teach you through His Spirit. God is going to teach you all things. You can call Him the counselor. You can call Him the guide. You can call Him the teacher because He wants to give you wisdom. So when you come to God and say, Our Father, it may be with a thousand questions and you're welcome to do that. The other, uh, another thing that it should mean, the fact that God is our Father, is that we know that He wants to take care of us. And so we shouldn't have to hesitate or fear that he's going to be grouchy, he's going to be uh, grumpy, he's going to be um, um, stingy toward us. But just the opposite. All of us who are parents know how we love to be generous to our kids. If we can do something that will bless them or help them through our generosity, we jump to do it. Not only that, we want our child to understand that that is our feeling and that that is our attitude. I heard, I heard a guy say once that is, he was doing something and his daughter, who was I think about 12, 14, came to him and said, Dad, some of my friends are going to a movie. I want to go with them. Can I have 10 bucks? And he said, yeah, sure. Okay, no problem. Um, my wallet, I don't have my wallet with me, my wallet is in my closet, and he gave her directions of where he knew that his wallet was laying. He said, just go and take $10 out of my wallet, because he was busy and stuff. And she hugged him and said, thank you, thank you, and she turned, and she went to go out the door of the house. And he said, uh, aren't you going go, go to my, go to the closet where my wallet is? She said, I already got it. <laughs> she knew her dad was going to say yes. I mean, at least she had the courtesy to come and ask him, and she had the courtesy to thank him, but she already had the money, because long before she ever got around to asking, she knew that her father was a father who wanted to share his resources with her, and if possible, he would do that. Why would we think God, as a father, would be any different? So this is the kind of thing that we should we should constantly be able to hold in our mind when we say, our Father, I need help. I need, I need this resource. I need that resource. Now, the other side of it is, uh, the, the dad may not have so willingly said, yes, my wallet's in the closet, if his daughter had been very disobedient or been very defiant of him. He may not have so quickly or easily said that because being a father means that you are responsible for the safety and the protection and the direction of your home and your family. Therefore, you expect something from them. When you lead, there needs to be a bit of following going on, and God is no different. So when I come to him and I call him my father, I had best be willing to comply with what it is that he wants me to do. So there's this expectation or this commitment of of. Uh, of, of obedience that's part of it. Jesus said this about himself. I love the Father. This is in John chapter, um, John chapter 14. I love the Father, therefore I do exactly what he commands. That's what Jesus said about himself. I love the Father, therefore I do exactly what he commands. This is, this is the understanding that comes with being our father is that there's authority. There's generosity inherent in father, but there's authority that's inherent in it as well. So when we come and say our father, the one in the heavens, our father the, who, who lives in the heavens, we should, 
we should be able to bring with us not only this absence of fear and this willingness and to ask questions and to ask for resources, but also realizing the expectation that our lives would follow his commands or his orders as, as we understand them, as he gives them out. And I want to just say one more thing. I want to add one more element to what it should mean that God is our Father. And that emphasizes, or that goes to the word hour. I don't know if this gal who got 10 bucks from her dad's wallet was an only child or not, but you're not an only child, and I'm not an only child. When it comes to the Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father, He is our Father. And there's a myriad of things that come out of that implication. But one of them is... That when I come to God and I say to him, our father, it should, be, it should be like something that just wipes selfishness and self-centeredness out of our mind. As I realize that while I'm praying to win, over here the other team is praying to win. And he is the father of us both. Uh, our preschool director said to me yeah, the other day, I was talking to her, she went to a, a soccer game, little kids, and a number of her former and current preschool kids were on both teams. And I said, who did you root for? She said, I rooted for all of them. I just clapped for all of them because they, they you know, I had kids on this team and I had kids on that team. And, and so it is with God, our father, um, we, we, uh, we may think of ourselves as a Jew or a Gentile or a slave or a free person. We may think of ourselves as a female or a male or as a rich or poor or as an advantaged person or as a disadvantaged person. But we all have access, it says in Ephesians, we all have access to the same Father by the same Spirit. <clears throat> and so... Uh, we need, to, we need to realize that or think of that. And this is where I think the, the, the right reverend archbishop is very wrong in saying that, uh, that it is mistaken or it is no longer appropriate to call God our father. It has nothing to do with men dominating women. Nothing. He is father of us all. He is the father of those of us who are men and think of ourselves, identify ourselves in that way. He is the father of those of you who are women and think of yourself, identify yourself in that way. I think the guy is stirring a pot when there's no soup in it. He's just stirring the pot because calling God our father does, has no connection with men dominating over women or controlling over, over women. So the issue then of of the fact that many people have experienced negative things from their earthly father and they have emotional scars and emotional wounds. And I know some of us here, I'm sure probably right here this morning, have had a very bad experience with our earthly fathers if we even know who our fathers are. And I want to just say a word about that, that, that earthly parents have missed the mark often in any kind of way that you can imagine. Earthly parents have tragically not measured up to the role, to the expectation, 
to the designer, to the plan. And therefore, some people don't even want to acknowledge a connection. Some people uh, reject the standard because they don't like the looks of the duplicates or the uh, reproductions that came off of the standard, and so they reject the standard. And, and it's for the, you know, just out of emotional response, saying, well, I don't want to call God my father because I didn't like my father. That's living by an emotion. It's not really thinking clearly at all. If I said to you, if I brought to you an invitation to the White House, or you received an invitation, a legitimate, bona fide invitation to come to an event at the White House, the real deal, you got, it, you got this, this invitation. And you said, I'm going to the White House. And I said, why? And you said, when I was a kid, I was attacked by a white goose. <laughs> I would say, get over it. A white goose and a, the White House really do not bear any connection. Or if you said, well, I'm not going up to the White House because I just don't do houses. I live in a tent. You know, I had a house burned down one time while I was in it or whatever. And I, I don't like houses, so I'm not going to the White House. We make connections sometimes in the most emotionally charged way that are silly, that are immature, that are childish. And so I guess what I want to say is it is wrong. It, it's, it's a wrong moral approach to life to reject something based on simply the fact that you have a negative emotional response to it based on some other something that, that you feel is related, even if it's just simply the use of a word. God has said, I am your father. This is how he has revealed himself to us. And so to reject that by, because of the fact that, that other fathers have not um, shown the best example, is really wrong. Um, here's a question I put in here. Should we, would, would we reject the use of money because one time, somehow or other, we were given a counterfeit bill? Okay, I acknowledge a counterfeit bill is junk. But do we therefore reject the use of all money after that? Because one time or other, somehow, you heard about the, you heard about the guy who... Uh, made counterfeit, I'm sure you heard this one, the guy who made some counterfeit bills and he realized, oh no, I messed up my, my plate, I got an $18 bill. And he had already produced a bunch of these and he didn't know what to do, so. Um, he thought, well, I, I got to find somehow to get rid of this, and he knew there was this particular shopkeeper that he thought was pretty dumb, and he thought, I think I could pass it off on him. So he goes into the shop, he says, hey, you got change for an 18 and the guy said, yeah, you want two nines or three sixes. <laughs> there are false copies. There are false editions. There are flawed and failed people who, who find themselves in the role of a father. Sometimes they're not prepared for it. Sometimes they're very ignorant themselves. None of that matters. And I don't think that, I don't think that we need to give any credence to this idea that we need to quit using the Lord's Prayer, we need to change it to uh, some other language, simply because of the fact that our earthly fathers have not 
measure it up. I think, uh, you know, I, I take great comfort in the fact that God is the one who said, look, if your earthly parents mess up, bring your life to me. If your father or mother forsakes you, the Lord will take you up. That's what it says in the Psalms. He's the one who sets the lonely in families. He is the father of the fatherless, is the Lord in his holy dwelling. So let's not take our emotional baggage or garbage from an earthly relationship and try to dump it on God. God says, dump it down, dump it right there and come to me and I'll help you to deal with it. So we need to hold the God, God's standards over earthly fathers rather than put the, the problems of our earthly fathers up against God. I think that, the, uh, I think that this, this spokesman of the Anglican church means well, probably, but I think that he's very, very wrong in his approach. Okay, so this next question has to do with this phrase, which can really... Throw you for a loop in when, you, when you think of it. Um, why would we have to ask God to deliver us from evil? Or, or I'm sorry, why would we have to ask God to lead us not into temptation? What, why would we even need to do that? Because it seems like that is something that he wouldn't even do to start with. And I want to say, basically, the rest of the sermon is a way of saying, that's exactly right. God will never, God will never lead you, purposefully seek to place you in a place where you would disobey him. He would never seek to induce you to do something that is wrong or against him or against your fellow man. Whenever you have any kind of a test that shoves you that way or a temptation that pulls you that way, it is not of God. He has promised us this. He has said this much. And he has said, I, furthermore, I don't lie. So when I tell you, excuse me, when I tell you that I'm not going to test, to tempt you, I'm not even going to test you past your breaking point. I'm certainly never going to uh, contradict myself and try to get you to do something that I would then have to slap you sideways because you did it. I not only would never do that, it's not within my nature. But I cannot lie when I say this to you. This we know from the scriptures. This we can be very certain of. And so why then would this phrase be in there? Oh, please don't lead us into temptation. I think I can very safely say whatever it means and however we interpret it. You do not have to beg God to refrain from doing something that he's never going to do. You do not have to ask God to restrain himself, please, from using you for shark bait or for throwing you, again, you know, into the devil's lair just as a toy, as if, as if you're sort of a pawn. Um, you, you know, sometimes Job kind of accused God of acting like this when Job was in such grief. And he said, God's just playing with me. He's just using me. And, and in his human grief and frustration, he felt this way, but... I'm saying that the, the, the whole message of the Bible is that no matter how we may feel at times emotionally, God does not do this, and he, and he will not do this. Let me back up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to 
the little phrase in the bulletin and that said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If, if you take that little conjunction, but, and you change it into this little, I don't know what you call this thing, i.e., any English people in here? It, 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 it means kind of basically it's the same as or saying it in a different way. The point is this is a parallel clause. Most Hebrew poetry is a, 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 some kind of parallelism. They're either two lines that contradict each other or two lines that say the same thing in just slightly different ways. And that's exactly what we have here. The first line is saying the same thing as the second line. It's just saying it in a different way. He's, he's saying it in a negative sense first, and he's saying it in a positive way secondly. The word but, you could take right out. In fact, if you, I'm, I'm going to just get very briefly a little bit grammatical, a little technical. In the Greek text, this term, do not lead us, is a subjunctive mood. There's two different moods. What the mood means this is the relation of the action to reality. There's the indicative mood, which is uh, real action happening right now, and there's a subjunctive mood, which is potential action. It hasn't happened. It's a possibility it could happen, but it's very abstract. And so often, we don't even, it's not even translated, do not lead us. It could literally be translated, and not leading us into temptation, deliver us. That, that it's simply, it's, it's, in a, it's in a subjunctive form, which, which means that while you're not doing this, do that. We know you're not going to lead us into temptation, so just go ahead and deliver us from evil. You wouldn't even need the word but there in using it in that way. If you want to put the word but in there, it, as translators mostly generally do, it's not contrasting the one with the other. It's just a conjunction that's joining these two, these two phrases. But they're saying the exact same thing. It is, a, it is a parallel clause. Okay. So perhaps you could say, you could, okay, I think that's what I just said. Um, that, that your... Uh, the point that I'm trying to get to is that we don't need to ask God not to lead us into evil because we know this is exactly the opposite of what he would ever do. We don't need to beg God to restrain from his impulse to abuse us. He has no such impulse and he never will. We can be confident of this because he is our father. He would never seek to lead us, draw us, induce us into a place where we're going to get chopped up, where we're going to get destroyed. So it is unfortunate the way it's translated, probably, that's become so ingrained in our pattern that it would raise this question. God isn't a tempting God. That's what this, this question said. So why do I ask him not to tempt me? Why do I have to ask him not to lead me into a temptation? And I'm, I'm trying to explain that, that uh, it could be translated, I think, in a better way that would make it more clear. While not leading us into temptation, go ahead and deliver us. We don't want to fall to evil. We don't want to participate in evil. 
We don't want to be overcome by evil. So deliver us from it. A lock, stock, and barrel. From the, from the lure of it, from the results of it, and so forth. Um, Satan is God's enemy. And you are God's beloved child. God would never seek to turn you over to his enemy. Never. Just as you would never surrender your child to a kidnapper or a, a person who's going to harm them, you would never do that. And the same is true with God. So maybe we could say it in this light, as I put here in your sermon notes, maybe we could phrase that or think of that as lead us away from temptation instead of lead us not into. If, we wanted to, if you wanted to think of it or pray it or translate it as lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. It's the same, it's the same idea. Um, oh God, help me to avoid temptation rather than feeling confident that I myself can just fly in the face of temptation and be strong enough. And this is my point here. I think the whole point of this clause in the Lord's Prayer is that it is, um, it, it, it is asking God to guard us because we realize that we may fall for temptation. We may easily be seduced by temptation. We may lead ourselves right down the path of temptation. And so we're not so self-sufficient or we're not so presumptuous as to think that we don't need the help of our Father who is in heaven. And so we come to him and say, Lord, I'm not necessarily strong and I could picture myself falling, so keep me away from it. Do what is necessary to help me to avoid temptation. It is really and truly a statement of profound humility, this whole statement. Not leading me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. It's saying I'm, I need help with evil. I'm not stronger than the evil one. I, I am not so presumptuous as to assume that. And so to conclude here, I'll just say this. In confessing our need for the protection and the deliverance of our Heavenly Father, we're, we're actually confessing the fact that we are inadequate on our own to deal with the overwhelming, overpowering enemy that is against us. So we come to him and ask for help. Let me back up and close with this verse in the Gospel of John. This is in Jesus' prayer. He said, I'm coming to you, but they're still in the world. So, Father, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. Protect them from the evil one. Does that sound like somebody we have to beg not to turn us over to the evil one? No, no, not at all. So never let this phrase, the way it's translated, cause you to ponder or wonder whether God really would treat you as if, as if you're a, a, a rag doll toy and he may toss you to the dog once in a while for the dog to shake and growl and so forth. That'll never happen because this is not God's character. This is not the character of a father with their child. And, and so that is not at all the picture that Jesus is portraying. He's really portraying the opposite of, of, of our Father as the one who will deliver us out of evil. And that means partially, inclusively, that He's not going to ever just pull us into it. So we just, this phrase is just a continuance of that same thought. Lead me away from temptation. Deliver me from evil. Do not lead us into temptation. That is... Meaning, deliver us from it. 
not something that we need to ever concern ourselves with, that God would try to make our life uh, more dangerous or more destructive. He sees just the opposite. Heavenly Father, today, we are not hesitant. We are glad to call you our Father, to come to you with not simply a phrase of Father on our lips, but the idea of, of being so protected and so encouraged and so affirmed and so wanted and so, so planned for and prepared for that we're just surrounded by, by a purpose. And we're your family. We are your beloved children. And in the process of our living, our, of living out our life, you will never seduce us or induce us into evil. Never. And, and so we come to you just the opposite. We come to you for help from our own selves and from the forces of the world and the flesh and the devil. Today, we pray in this moment, not knowing what evil we may face even today, perhaps a danger that would come our way in a form of an accident. We ask you to deliver us from evil. Not leading us into temptation, but deliver us out of even the temptation, we pray. With thankfulness and gratitude in our heart. Amen.